time to strap in for another edition of the Cars Guide podcast, the show that takes you beyond the test drive. Uh, this is the first episode for 2022. It's number 213, Best Off-Roaders for 2022. Um, I'm Cars Guide Deputy Editor James Cleary, and joining me and looking at looking uh, at the oncoming crop of off-highway capable machines uh, are Adventure Editor Marcus Craft. G'day, Crafty. Greetings. And Managing Editor, Head of Video, Matt Campbell. Hello, everyone. Right. We, we'll also take a look at the fresh metal we've been driving this week and dive into your feedback. YouTubers, you can jump ahead via the time codes in the notes or click on the chapter markers in the timeline. So let's get to it. Now, our very own uh, Tung authored a story uh, recently, guys, which was about the best uh, 4x4 and off-road vehicles arriving in 2022. He made the point that the last 18 months uh, we've collectively been battling against a, a worldwide virus, a pandemic. So international flights uh, have remained off the table. Um, so what, what are you going to do as a family? What, what do you turn to for your annual holiday? And it's the humble road trip. And he's been looking down that road at, at what's coming uh, at vehicles that are capable of leaving the bitumen, actually, and, uh, and taking you to that favourite campsite or beach or whatever it is that you're after. And... There are there are half a dozen or so, and I was thinking we might just kick it off by looking at the different ones he's called out. Is that okay with you guys? That oh, works yeah. perfectly well. Dive right in, mate. Now, the first one is is possibly, arguably, the most interesting. It's the Ford Everest. And there's been so much hype about, um, you know, Ford Ranger and the Everest being, um, you know, essentially a twin under the skin uh, for that vehicle. Um, it's coming. It's going to have a lot of the stuff that we've been chatting about with regard to Ranger in terms of new engines, and it's going to look, we think, uh, very F-150 US style across the front fascia. Crafty, the, the, the Everest has been a reasonable seller. It's up against, you know, mighty, the mighty Prado and, and others. What do you make of its arrival? What, what kind of impact do you think it could make? It's uh, it's been impressive in the past. Like I've I've always liked uh, I've always liked the Everest, and we've taken them on beaches, uh, plenty of sand out in the bush. They've always been capable, very comfortable. It's 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 probably one of the better sort of Ute platform to wagon, uh, you know, arrangements uh, uh, in terms of refinement and that sort of thing. Uh, I like the look of the thing. I've always liked the the new F truck sort of facade. Yep. Um, I can't see them ruining the machinations underneath, like <laughs> its ability to to go off road and that. So, so I'm I'm excited. I reckon it looks good. Good. And Matt, a big body on frame um, SUV. It's got it's done reasonably well historically, but it's never really cracked it as you know the 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 top seller, the the flag, the the, the kind of one to beat in yeah. that large SUV market. Do you think this one has the potential to change that? I think the uh, conversation has changed in Australia more generally around Ford four-wheel drives. Um, obviously, with Ranger up there in the top two in the most sold vehicles of 2021, um, just behind the Hilux. But, um, yeah, it's it's so close uh, in that race, the ute race. And yep. as we know, these this is a ute-based SUV. And uh, if Ford can capitalise on the fact that this is based on the new Ranger uh, and communicate that with uh, potential customers, maybe there'll be more success this time around. I think early on with the first version of the Everest, 
part of the problem was the pricing. Um, and, you know, everybody was pretty astounded when they were asking in the mid-70s for the top spec uh, model um, because nobody really saw this as a rival to Prado. They saw it more as a rival to the existing MUX and uh, the Pajero Sport and those sorts of vehicles. So um, it's it's definitely got... Uh, potential to improve its mm-hmm. uh, fortunes this time around, I think. And we're, we're theorising that it's it's still going to kick off from around 50, that, that you're going to need about that money to yeah. to enter the Everest world. Um, so it's not an insubstantial sum. Uh, still. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's higher than that um, mm-hmm. and the, the, if the entire Ranger lineup moves up in pricing as well. Yeah. Um, just because we know that prices generally at the moment are pretty uh, high and um, there's more technology in these new vehicles than there ever has been. So yeah. the, the companies have to essentially make their money back on the investment um, and they do that pretty early on. So um, these these vehicles have a lifestyle, a life cycle sometimes of up to 10, 12, 14 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, so they have to amortize the costs um, as soon as they can. Uh, and I think that, you know, this is a, this is a interesting uh, new model and, could be a really big player for Ford if they play it right. It's interesting. Who was the Aussie gold medalist? I think his name was John Sieben, and his his technique was to just ride the wake of the guy that was leading the race and then just come out and kind of win in the last uh, couple of lengths. Yeah, I think yeah. that, you know, using Ranger as a as a proxy for, for the benefits of this thing, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Ford could do a lot worse. Yes. Yep. In, into Matthew Campbell, Ford product planning and marketing. <laughs> Guru, that's that's fantastic. My, my real calling. Yeah, that's, it. that's it. So that's a big one uh, to kick it off. Then ah, the next one is so interesting. Fourth quarter, we reckon. Ineos Grenadier and um, a mate of mine. Shout out to Tony. Has one. Um, he's got his hand up and he's he's lodged a deposit, and he's keen as uh, to get his hands on it. Crafty the Ineos Grenadier. What do you think it's going to do locally? Um. Yeah, I think they're going to move some units. This is the defender that you that you get when you're not happy with the <laughs> current the new defender. One. Yeah, that's the, right. Which which is a great thing, but but it's not what a lot of sort of hardcore traditionalists would have uh, would have preferred. And and the Ineos Grenadier goes back to those roots. I mean, they've they've really taken their cues from from hardcore four driving, like all the characteristics that 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 make things. Sometimes you know the perception of, of not being so comfortable on road, but fully capable. Uh, and in fact, it ended up in the courts, didn't it? In terms oh, of absolutely, you know, yeah, uh, yeah. Are you actually wholesale <laughs> taking our design? Yeah. Well, well, I mean, you'd, you'd you'd have to have something wrong with your vision not to not to pick <laughs> yeah. up on those those design cues and what. But good on them. And I mean, they've been pretty transparent through the whole uh, planning and engineering phase and through the testing phase as well. We've only they've only ever offered a, a a drive. You know, you get to sit in it and go for a bit of a drive. But yeah. the guys, they they did that. We had one of our blokes down there um, on that, and he came away pretty impressed. Um, yeah. And he's not an easy bloke to to impress, Dave Morley. Um, so yeah, th- this thing again. You know, we're talking about pricing. Everything is expensive these days. This is going to be upwards of eighty grand, um, I think, to to kick off in. So yeah. and. And then, uh, uh, you know, I, I guess the idea is you option it up with with things that that might suit your particular, uh, you know, lifestyle or whatever. Uh, you know, in terms of 
camping and touring and that sort of thing. Yeah. So so pretty pricey, but yeah, I mean, you know, it looks good. I thought you were going to say like header blades on the front and some kind of sprayer or cedar <laughs> on the back. You know, it's tough a, enough to get it into the paddock. Or a guy up top with a guitar that shoots <laughs> flames. I don't know. Whatever you're into, I'm, that's but, up to uh, you. Matt, that's a great point, isn't it? Dave Morley, we have got that video um, up on the site or YouTube. People should check that out. But um, yeah. what do you what do you make of the Grenadier? I, I love the idea for what it's worth. Yeah, um, me where, too. Where do, you, where do you stand with it? So I, I think it's a very intriguing option uh, for buyers who don't want the creature comfort factor and they just want to pay for the ability and capability that you get with a vehicle like this. Um and, you know, it is going to be relatively quite expensive, I think, um, you know, compared to some of those yeah. other rivals, like, you know, 85 grand uh, for the choice of petrol or diesel is what we're sort of guessing it at. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it makes a Ford Everest new generation model uh, with all the fruit, probably with a three litre V6 diesel as well um, for around that money. Um, it's going to be yeah. hard to you know, make your decision based on, you know, what you want, I guess. And yep. if if uh, there's also the chance that there will be a dual cab ute version of the uh, Grenadier. Right. Um, so basically doing it back to front compared to the likes of the uh, D-Max uh, and MUX and that sort and of thing. All right, with the tray in the front and the cab at the back. <laughs> that's hey, extraordinary. They're changing things up there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's different. Uh, but, yeah, look, it's... I, I, I'm like crafty. I'm very excited uh, to actually get a chance to see yeah. it, be in it, drive it. Uh, when that happens, um, it, you know, it is probably still nine months away, maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah. It could push into next year, you know, with with whatever's happening in the world. But uh, it's, it's something to be interested in. It, may, it might be about. one of those ones where they have a good sales year first up and then never sell any because everyone will keep them forever. Um, I think it'll be one of those ones where it'll just remain in ownership for a long, long time, that yeah. kind of vehicle. Um, all right, let's let's uh, let's keep going. Next up, it's the Grand Cherokee uh, from Jeep. For so long, it's been such an important part of the Jeep uh, lineup. And in recent times, be it through demand or supply or, you know, an orderly run out, um, the new one has been seen. It's possible we'll be without a Grand Cherokee for a little while, so the third quarter is is looking like when it will arrive. Um, what do you think it means for for Jeep Crafty? It's obviously an important one for them. Um, meantime, you'll have Everest probably will have arrived and and various others. Um, does it put Jeep into a into a hard spot having to wait a while for this one? Um, I I think so, uh, and. It's it's highly competitive. I mean that that realm is is just super competitive. It's tough to get a to get a, a real established position in. Um, it's always had a pretty decent sort of reputation as a towing vehicle, and you see a lot of them around mm. um, uh, for better or worse. Um, yep. Uh, I th- I think they've got their you know their sort of diehard fans, their their mob of people who are who are Jeep through and through. Um, I can't see it being being a massive seller, um, yeah. You know, as as at any time, but uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, the balance. It's it's more of an on road thing. I mean, to yeah, to be true. honest, like the Cherokee is, is more of a, a, a super, and you know, and a and, and pretty comfortable on road. You know, yeah. Nice and then we're going to have a, a three point six liter petrol V six, um, no V eight. Um, this time round uh, is what we're told. So, Matt, what do, you, what do you make of that? Do you think that's palatable 
uh, for um, G- G- Cherokee, Grand Cherokee devotees? I think uh, probably the um, it's the realistic engine, um, whereas, you know, the, the old Hemis uh, and the diesel even um, might not, you know, I don't think there's a diesel coming this time around either. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those sorts of powertrains, um, while they were popular uh, in years gone by, um, I think the petrol engine, the V6, is probably the the most or the path of least resistance, I, I would guess. Um, yeah. But then, you know, there'll probably be a plug-in hybrid version um, at some yeah. point as well, uh, yeah. and and that uh, adds a different element to that powertrain. Um, and I think that, you know, I don't know that the Jeep buyer is uh, in Australia at least is ready for electrification. Um, yeah, just yet. Right. Yeah, but uh, certainly in America, where you can actually get some sort of a benefit from buying an electrified car, um, we're seeing more and more of the uh, cut yeah. through with the the electrified Jeep models. Um, look, I I know that the Grand Cherokee has a bit of a checkered history um, yep. in Australia in terms of reliability and uh, ownership and that sort of thing. Um, yep. There have been numerous instances of um you know the people getting cranky about having a lemon or whatever it may be um and i hope that they can shake that off um the new one look i'm not that massive of a fan of the look of it but um it's it's to everyone's uh, you think you think it's a little bit bland to me it struck me as a bit generic and and not having the character that you might like in a in a grand cherokee yeah the last one had a bit more muscle to it um this one's a bit more long and sleek um yeah and uh, just not quite as catching, I don't think. But and and crafty, I mean Matt's point about uh, hybrids and alternate powertrains. It speaks to your point about Jeep being more of a tow vehicle and an on-road thing, as opposed to a seriously getting into the off-highway uh, locations. But also, you were mentioning earlier off-air about your appetite for alternate um, powertrains in in four by fours and and off-road vehicles. Yeah, I think I think we're all waiting for for EVs that are. You know, very decent off-road have have a have a pretty good range in terms of uh, you know having to power them up uh, in between stops. Um, and and I think that's that's the more exciting thing on the horizon. Whether it's a, a far horizon, who knows? Yeah. But um, I think that's that's going to really reset everything and and, and reframe the whole. Yeah. You know, approach to SUVs and, and off-roaders and and all it takes is for someone to do you know one one decent vehicle whether whether that's a Rivian or whatever that's been you know tested down south and you know we, we just need something to shake everyone up interesting uh, yeah yeah so yeah very good all right well one that is not uh it's certainly not a Rivian at this point is a Lexus <laughs> it's the it's the LX and and uh you know I think we all know that it's essentially a land cruiser that's been lexified. And I, I do recall uh, being on a trip with some of our colleagues out to Lightning Ridge and having a Lexus LX and using it to collect firewood. And I thought, this is possibly the only Lexus LX ever <laughs> that's had firewood put um, in the back of it. But um, it's I suppose it's an important vehicle. Um, what do you make of the whole Lexus LX concept, Crafty? I um, Look, I don't mind the, <clears throat> excuse me, I don't, I don't mind the things. Um, uh, again, while they may be effective to drive off-road, you know, it's a little bit difficult because it's, it's, it's such a big beast and it's more designed to be on-road. 
Uh, also a pretty solid reputation as a, as a tow vehicle. Like I've seen a fair yep. few of them uh, about um, with horse floats and that sort of thing. So the bigger sort of more substantial load behind. Mm. Uh, and again, you know, luxurious, prestigious, nice on road, nice around the suburbs, uh, not such a hardcore tourer. Um, so really not in my uh, wheelhouse, for want of a better word, but yep. uh I have I have taken uh, a Lexus sort of here and there on on pretty difficult stuff. Yeah, and and driven with extreme consideration, they are quite capable. That, that was mostly in Turak, wasn't it? Or That's you were, right. You were, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're around yeah. Darling Point as well. <laughs> there was a tiny little bit of gutter that was maybe uh, you know five in centimeters. Yeah, I, I um, ramped over but, that mongrel. Matt, the new the new one's uh, grill gives BMW a run for its money in terms of the supersizing of of that particular element. What 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 are you making of it of, of its uh, arrival? I, I think that this could be uh, the most important Lexus LX to date because there are going to be people out there who can't get their hands on the uh, Land Cruiser three hundred series. Yeah, and you know if the step up isn't crazy uh, i mean you know there are people who have bought 300 series uh brand new um managed to get theirs early and sell them on uh the used market for a stupid profit um and so this lx could actually be the best option for some potential 300 series buyers who might not necessarily be looking to do the serious off-road driving because you know the mechanicals are all the same um it's right. just got a, a bigger chin and a more aggressive look. Um, yeah. And I, you know, like Crafty said, uh, you do have to be careful, more careful with them when you do off-road stuff in, a, in an LX. But also I think part of that is just being afraid of damaging something that's more expensive. Um, that's right. You know? <laughs> exactly, and, yeah. and, and so uh, the, the inherent capability is there with this car for those who are looking for something that right. is as good as a Land Cruiser 300 series, apart from maybe the approach and departure angles. So, right. so well, what, what we really should be doing then is getting the listeners and viewers and all of us into a fractional ownership thing, chip in, buy a Lexus, and oh. then we can we can all be happy. Happy days. Easy. We'll, make a, Easy. we'll make a bit of dough. Yeah. yeah. Or uh, we can flip it and make profit. That's right. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, next next up, we've got a couple to go. The Pathfinder, second half, obviously an important vehicle uh, for Nissan. We've got um, the, this time they've ditched the CVT. We're into a nine-speed torque converter auto world, um, slightly more potent, three-and-a-half-litre uh, petrol V6, better multimedia, AEB, better safety, all of that kind of stuff. Um, what do you reckon, Crafty? Is the Pathfinder ready to, to take a stake, uh, step up in its next generation? Yeah, I, you know, I don't mind it. The Parthy's always had a bit of a rough trot because, again, it's in a pretty competitive sort of slab of the market. Um, and it's really, I don't know, I guess it's it's, it's difficult to get its foot in. Um, as as an off-roader, I mean, it's it's perfectly fine. That CVT, people always whinged about it, but, I, you know, I didn't mind it. Um, and now, I don't know, what is that, 350 newton metres or something with the... Yeah, three, 351, decent. to be precise. Yeah. So not so not earth-shattering, but, uh, you know, decent thing. But it's 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 really more of a an around-town sort of uh, a nice family-friendly sort of basic, uh, you know, not-too-exciting touring vehicle, you know. Yeah. I'd, I don't mind Nissans. I don't mind Navaras and uh, and you know also Parthies. But um, yeah, no. I mean, full, tra- interesting full transparency, Crafty. You are an owner. Oh yeah, I'm absolutely a, a Navara, but it's uh, you know it's, it's about- been around the place. 
<laughs> it looks about 600 years old. Let's put it that <laughs> way. So, so, yeah. Matt, another potential on-road more than off-road, but, yeah. but do you think, you know, what do you make of this one, the, the updates, upgrades? Uh, another one where uh, there is potential for success um, if Nissan can capitalise on it. Um, yep. I think that uh, the new Pathfinder definitely uh, has more presence to it. The current one, which has been around for a long time, um, is sort of a blob uh, with lots of space in it. Uh, whereas this is much more chiseled and muscular, uh, a much more definitive piece of design um, that will actually kind of stand out a little bit in the Nissan range when it arrives. Because, you know, okay. the, the the models below it, the, the new generation X-Trail and the new generation Qashqai, both have similar looks, but this is much more uh, butch, I would say. Um, and I think that uh, in the world where, you know, you've got... Um, Quite expensive uh, new generation Kluger, uh, yep. Hyundai Palisades going up in price. Um, you know, the Hyundai, uh, the Kia Sorento as well uh, is more expensive than ever before. So, um, you know, there's, there might be new customers out there that are looking for something that might be potentially just a little bit more affordable. Cool. Okay. That's good. And look, let's finish it off with the mighty Mitsubishi Pajero Sport and its imminent um, in terms of, of its arrival. And you talk about um, MUX and Everest. Uh, the Pajero Sport's going to be going up against the whole lot. Um, and there's a new flagship, a GSR um, grade. So, Matt, would this one to you be another on-road rather than off-road type proposition? Or where do you see it falling? I think, actually, uh, for most people, it does fall more towards the adventure uh, lifestyle. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyone who's ridden in the back of... Uh, Pajero Sport might realise that it's probably better for two people than it is for five or seven. Um, <laughs> See, yes. They're, they're a little bit uncomfortable in the back, but um, the the fact is that they are really quite capable um, and affordable is where they've always had their advantage. Um, okay. You know, we're talking up to $20,000, $25,000 less than a Prado um, and in similar spec, like uh, yeah. the equipment levels are pretty similar. So, um I mean, obviously, with the world the way it is and the market the way it is, maybe prices are um, not as representative now as they were a few years ago. But uh, I think having something like the GSR grade um, just adds a little bit of something to that market because it's, I mean, the Pajero Sport's been around for a little while now um, and yep. uh, the market has shifted and it will continue to shift. So, yeah. And Crafty, your familiarity or otherwise with the Pajero Sport, where do you see this new one um, coming into things? Oh, mate, we've we, we've done a hell of a lot of Ks uh, in the Pajero Sport um, yep. and we've done a lot of comparison tests um, and single vehicle tests and, and uh, yeah, I reckon Matt's spot on. Um, it's, it, it's not quite as, I guess, and, it, you know, again, it's a perception thing. I mean, people might think it's not as exciting or not as sort of, you know, uh, a heroic legacy as, as, as something bearing the Toyota badge or, you know, or even the Nissan badge, but it's always been pretty good value for money, very well equipped, um, surprisingly comfortable um, on-road and, and always very capable off-road. And, and you see a lot of them modified nicely, like not too yep. hardcore. Yep. And then they retain those characteristics where they're still good around town, but they're, they're super effective off-road and yeah yeah i like them i mean it's it's good uh you know 
a really good platform, always had a nice legacy about it. Uh, yep. Again, not too sort of terribly exciting or heart pounding, but but very effective. And yeah, I, th- I think it's a good thing. I think I, like- I actually liked the previous model's tail, uh, tail lights, which of course held the world record for the biggest tail lights. <laughs> <laughs> and I was the longest, they looked like they were melting down yeah. the back of the car. Yeah. It was uh, yeah. Salvador I, Dali. Type. I missed yeah. them. I missed I, them a lot. I always called them the crying clown because yeah. it's like the makeup was running. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow, something from the Screen movie. Maybe that <laughs> yeah. the guy should have been driving that. Okay, well, that's a great roundup, and notwithstanding your comment, uh, Crafty, about alternate powertrains and, and that being an exciting area as well. This is what's heading down the pipeline for us this year and our take on it, so it'd be great to hear what people listening or, or viewing make of these as well and others that they might be looking forward to. But um, we're now going to move on to our garage and cars that we have, in fact, been driving rather than thinking about arriving. And uh, Matt, could I kick off with you, please? You've been in a Toyota product recently. Fill us in. Uh, It was the Kluger GX hybrid all-wheel drive. Uh, So the entry-level hybrid version of the new generation Kluger, seven-seater, two-and-a-half-litre petrol four-cylinder with uh, battery backup. Um, And I did a family trip with myself, my partner, our baby, two dogs and a boot full of stuff out to Cowra uh, in the central west of New South Wales. And the the, the boot full of stuff uh, that you were taking (laughs) to Cowra, you brought back with you? Yes. Or you found a... No, you didn't find a buy. No, I didn't find a buy. Um, No, so, yeah... Dumped it out. No, uh, it was it was a, a good little trip away. Um, did uh, just over 650 k's in it um, over three days. So, uh, yeah, really nice experience. Um, I can see why people buy them. I showed it to my uh, sister-in-law, who is basically sold on it, um, having you know been ready to upgrade from a Rav Four, and that's where the market is. Okay. So interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, yeah. Three things I liked about it. Um, obviously, the fuel consumption was pretty good. 6.8-ish litres per 100 Ks. What? That's so amazing. that sort of That's distance amazing. is, um, you know, better than yep. what you get in a diesel. Um, the comfort, uh, it's a really nice ride. And I also think that the packaging is quite good as well for the size of the thing. A couple of things I don't like about it. Um, I'm not so keen on the fact that it's only got the nine inch screen and you get a, you can get a bigger screen in uh, yep. different markets. Uh, it does feel a little bit outdated already um, compared to, you know, some brand new models um, because it was on sale in America for like a year before a year and a half before we got it here. Um, it is feeling almost like it's ready for an update, uh, uh-huh, which is kind okay. of surprising. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right. And the third thing I don't like is that there is uh, no airbags in the third row. So it's very much a temporary seven-seater. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Brilliant. Thank you. Uh, Crafty, we are going to move on to your good self. And it's not a Japanese product. Um, it's not even a European product anymore, is it, really, if uh, Brexit is anything to go by? Yeah. <laughs> tell, us, no. tell, us, um, tell us what you've been steering. Uh, not at all. Um, I was in a Landy, a Land Rover Discovery uh, D300S or SD300, whichever, whichever way you want it. Uh, that's that's <laughs> that's an inline uh, six-cylinder, and that punches out 650 newton meters. Whoa, so yeah. Yeah. we had a lot of fun with that. We went out uh, uh, on on the uh, on the vehicle test day. It was quite muddy. Uh, and you'll see that in the video. The video is up on YouTube. On the or site, yep. Right now. yep. Uh, I really enjoyed it. Uh, again, full disclosure, I've had a discovery in the past, but 
a long way back, uh, a 1996 V8. Uh, I've always liked them. They, they've always been the sort of cushy alternative to, to the Defender. If you wanted something hardcore, you'd, you'd go for the Defender. With the new Defender being so nice and so refined, it was hard for me to see a place anymore for the Discovery, but but having driven it, and, I mean, I won't spoil it, JC, people have to watch the video to see whether I think there's still a place in the lineup for the Discovery, but uh, really effective, really comfortable, a lot of fun. That air suspension sets it apart. Like, it's 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 a really uh, a really good sort of uh, off-road system, like yeah. uh, terrain response. Yeah. Um, you've got everything at your fingertips. You can pretty much run the whole vehicle from its Pivi Pro screen, which I really like. Uh, I have had a few issues with uh, in the past in a Defender, uh, as a matter of fact, but uh, this time, yeah, absolutely no issues. A lot of fun, very capable. We took it on some things that, yeah, I've, I've only ever seen uh, modified vehicles um, driven up. Uh, so yep. so very handy. I mean, you'd swap out the tyres because they're 20-inch tyres sort of uh, for the road. Yes. But, uh yeah. Really nice, and if you've got the money, I mean, uh, option up. I think it's a it's about one hundred and two grand as is, but prices mm. tested because it had a few things thrown at it, yeah. uh, including um, uh, all terrain progress control system. I'm probably getting that name wrong, but uh, uh, I get what you mean. <laughs> as as with any Land Rover product, you can throw a lot of things at it, but it mm. it adds to the price, and it ends up being about one hundred and eleven, I think, as right. tested. So a lot a lot of bucks, but if you're in that sort of if you're in that area and you have that cash and you want a nice seven-seater family-friendly yep. tour, on, you know, you could probably do a lot worse. Super. Very good. All right. Thank you, Crafty. I'll finish it off. I was in a, a Kia Sportage over the uh, Christmas New Year period. So this is the GT line diesel. Um, it's just over $50,000. Uh, well, it's 52 and a bit. Uh, Two-litre turbo diesel four, um, eight-speed auto, and it's all-wheel drive. Uh, 137 kilowatts, 416 newton meters. So that's that's pretty handy, particularly for a, an on-road focused kind of car. Uh, the pluses were this model gets that a sweeping dash, which covers multimedia on the left and instruments on the right. Um, and I'm always a sucker for that. I do like the Mercedes M bucks, you know, the MBUX um, setup. I like it as well. The ergonomics are really good. It's roomy. Um, lots of equipment, uh, including safety tech, uh, active and passive safety tech. The quality of it was hugely impressive. Um, you know, you get your partial leather interior and the leather wheel and all that kind of stuff. I love ventilated seats. It was hot and muggy over Christmas New Year, and these things worked really nicely. Uh, very pleasant to have that, I must say. Um, the minus is it's a bit loud. I was surprised at how much uh, noise kind of came through into the cabin. I had a bit of uh, jiggling with the CarPlay connection, a bit unpredictable on that, which can be frustrating um, in the moment. And it, the, the car I had is called Jungle Wood Green, which to me came as a solid, like, olive green. I liked it. When our fearless leader, Mal, saw it, he goes, oh, you like it, do you? So I, I realised it's, um, it's somewhat polarising, but um, I thought it set the car off very nicely. But at that, there's a lot, a lot of options around that just over $50,000 mark, but I think that's portage, and I've just recently driven the, the base model, and when you don't have that screen and when some of the buttons are blanked out and there's a, a little there you go mm, it's slightly different proposition yeah with exactly the same engine 
But if you do pay the bucks, I think you get a really good vehicle. Now, JC, I've got the uh, GT line petrol, the 1.6 turbo with the dual clutch transmission. Okay. And I wish I had the diesel. Uh, oh, yeah. Because uh, the diesel, the powertrain in it, um, you know, two litre, eight speed auto, and yep. it's it's predictable. Uh, it's much more refined. Um, the powertrain in the petrol uh, turbo is not as less refined. refined. Well, I think the thing, you know, we've all been spoiled by diesel turbos that produce all of their torque so low down and hang on to it for so long. So if you really want to get somewhere and, and squeeze the throttle, um, yeah, it's lovely. Um, yep. So And it delivers it so very nicely. It's not as if you're getting anything other than linear power delivery, no kind of whoosh or whatever. It's lovely, yeah. Yeah, you get a fair yeah. bit of rock and roll in the old uh, 1.6 turbo. Oh. So. Okay, well, that's good. That's good reference too. Yeah. Um, okay, thank you, guys. That's that. We're going to go to uh, feedback. Comment of the week. Um, it's sitting on top of the shipping container at the front of the Cars Guide forecourt and ready for someone to come in and uh, take Good. a look. Got the wavy arms. Got the man. wavy arms, guys. We've got we've got bunting balloons. We are oh. serious about this. Um, we're going to have a big weekend. Um, and <laughs> the, one, the one that we've yeah, you know, we're going to sell some cars, people. Um, the 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 one that 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 stood out was Kelvin Koo. Um, last time around, way back when, uh, before Christmas last year, we were talking about Honda's move in terms of its business model and its shift up market and and what have you. And uh, Kelvin says, uh, he made some, uh, what I believe is a really interesting uh, comment. He says, it's positive that Honda Australia is at least trying something because, yes, they have been um, in trouble, I suppose, uh, for a little while. He agrees with Dave Morley. Dave was, uh, was on our panel uh, for the show. What they're trying isn't being done well done or done consistently. You know, they're pivoting up market but offering less than the market expects. No sunroof, no head-up display, no full digital instrument cluster, no 360-degree camera, parking sensors, no hybrid system, all of that. So features the Civic's mainstream peers, and we did focus on the Civic because it's now quite an expensive car, um, are equipped with for less than 47K. Um, Mm -hmm. It's a significant sum, and the product being offered is indicative Honda Australia's, his words not mine, lazy and condescending approach expecting premium brand recognition by just getting rid of the lower end variants while not adding substantially to the top end model relative Mm -hmm. to its competition. Uh, With the way Honda Australia is going so far, the only recognition coming their way is that they've lost the plot. Um, (laughs) So I thought that was a really interesting perspective. Matt, do you agree or or disagree with? I think there are some some points well made there. Um, And removing uh, cheaper variants Yes, it does simplify the business uh, and it simplifies uh, the availability of what you can and can't choose. Um, but uh, it does also um, basically alienate probably 85% of the market. So, you know, if you if you can't go in and buy a Honda Civic for 35 grand mm. um, and there's nothing else from Honda that you are interested in at that price point, there's only basically the HRV at 35 grand now. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's no Jazz anymore. There's no Honda City anymore. Um, a bunch of the other models have been uh, superseded or just pushed out. Um, and so, you know, I think that the days of uh, affordable Hondas are done. Um, mm. And it seems like a real uh, misstep to me. But, I, just, I just thought it was a really interesting perspective to say just yeah. by eradicating your lower models doesn't necessarily make you a premium 
brand. Oh, not uh, at all. Hundred yeah. percent. I mean, where are where are the premium brands going? Their their tendrils are uh, reaching down, down to the yeah. to the new market. The, the yeah. ones that they want to get in, show them that you can have luxury at a lower price point. And then yeah. as those people, you know, we talk about it all the time internally here. That you know, as you move up through your life stages, you stay with the brand, and that's the aim. You want somebody you, to creep into. You yeah. go from an A class to a C class to an E class to a GLE to whatever it may be you know like that's yeah. that's how it works and um speaking of tendrils crafty i remember your uh, tendrils were wrapped around the wheel of your very fast you know go fast hot dog exhaust civic hatch back in the day um you were terrorizing the streets um is honda honda a brand that you have much affinity with uh, uh no not at all <laughs> so whatever whatever matt said um, it's it's <laughs> that's good. It's a very by any car company. It's a very peculiar move, and I, I can't see it. I can't see it being a, a positive one in the long run. I mean, yeah, why would you when you when you've got a, a decent reputation as you know a cheaper value for money, sort of accessible yeah. car manufacturer? And now people don't have that option. You can't. It's interesting. Your- I think I think it's the it's trying to hark back to days when they were seen as a technology leader and the Japanese BMW and all of those things. And what Kelvin's saying is that's all well and good, but you've got to do that. You've got yeah. to put yourself right there and and have other people reaching up to you rather than just changing your your model line. Anyway, thank you, Kelvin. It's a really good uh, really good point of view. Um, and look, with that, we've reached the finish line. So it's time to say thank you, Matt. Thank you. And thank you, Crafty. No, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you, mate. <laughs> and uh, and thanks to our head of production, WOW, ambassador of Buzz and soft cheese specialist, Mr. <laughs> Pritchard, for his deft behind-the-scenes skills. Um, today he's wearing a T-shirt saying, let me check my give a shitometer." Nope, nothing. Um, <laughs> Pringles trunks and rainbow platforms. Um, jump into wow. the conversation, Cars Guides on Facebook and Instagram, or email us at comments at carsguide.com.au. Please do that. Apple Podcast listeners, please take a moment to rate and review the show. Five is the preferred number of stars. Uh, that would be great. Thank you. Um, if you enjoyed the episode, make sure to subscribe to the Cars Guide YouTube channel so you can stay on top of all our latest content. But before we go, because I was picking the car up from service um, late last week, it was still in the wash bay. Uh, when I arrived. So I had to wait a while. Um, look, it's a great shop uh, washing the car for a start. It's fantastic. But some of the staff are, you know, just this side of street legal, um, if you know what I mean. And uh, a young bloke on the end of a broom sidled up to me and said, uh, hey, mate, want to share a special herbal cigarette? I, uh, I politely declined. Look, I, I can't deal with high-maintenance people. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> uh, very good. <laughs> oh, you shocker. Oh.